Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for your bluegrass collection. I'll keep my grass green, thank you very much. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. But meanwhile, let's jump the generation gap and greet Mark Bolan. I started as a poet and I realized if I use what moved me, which is rock and roll, it would be all right. They want to pigeonhole you into something that is not what you do. Power through it like electric warriors, Ryan. Oh boy. Oh no. Welcome we back go. to Now Hear This. We're in our third season. This is our second episode, and I have done a good thing. I have conjured for you a special one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, you have. I can't even believe we're talking about this record today. It's always been one of my favorites, but I never thought I'd ever have a place to vent my joys and frustrations (laughs) well for those of you joining us we're now here this we are a album exchange podcast and my album is this week and i have brought a special one for me and my musical taste development and just a special one in general because it's by a special guy yeah this is the album electric warrior by the band t-rex more specifically mark bolan (laughs) And yeah. I love T-Rex. I just oh yeah, same. love them, Ryan. Now, I'm wondering, what's your T-Rex backstory? College sometime, as one does once they've listened to the Beatles and the Stones and all the bands of the 60s and early 70s. They burn themselves out on that and they find themselves obsessed with David Bowie, or Bowie as they say, and out of Bowie and all the glam and space rock, you you click around and you see this guy playing a guitar and a big Marshall stack. (laughs) It's a black cover and it's gold. And you're like, what is this? And you put it on and you know what you hear? You hear about a guy who's got stars in his beard. (laughs) And you are interested and you buy right in. Yeah. That's how I got into the Bowland. So Electric Warrior was the one. Yeah, this was the first one. And then... You know, you dig around and the slider 
yeah. might be one of my favorite albums, period. Every track on there. And I was excited when you put this one on there instead of the slider, because like, oh, maybe I'll talk about the slider. Because I think the slider is a weirder version of this. Yeah. But you couldn't have the slider without Bang the Gong or, you know, Planet Queen, <laughs> The Motive, <laughs> Lean Woman Blues. Woo! All these songs on this record. I, the word artist is thrown around a lot. People are like, oh, well, this this artist and you you watch their youtube videos or their instagram pages and it's somebody who's never even picked up an instrument and i'm not talking about hip i'm just talking about people that are meant to be playing and they don't know how to play but then a guy like this comes out of nowhere probably from outer space and <laughs> invents an entire paradigm yeah. based upon what's been done in the past and ringo's involved somehow yeah i'm i love it so i guess i found mark bolin as a young very young person you know young kid because my dad loves mark boland and there was always a copy of born to boogie on vhs around now born to boogie as you mentioned ringo is a ringo star directed apple films movie about the height of t-rex because makes sense in 1972 i believe when that film was made t-rex was the biggest thing in britain i mean he it was t-rex yeah. mania some people like to rock <laughs> People like to roll. But a moving end of groove is going to satisfy my soul. You're so sweet. You're so fine. I want you all and everything just to be mine. He was everything. He had nonstop hit after hit after hit. Really did. The albums all very successful. The tours even more so. Didn't do as big over here in, in America, but yeah. So anyway, I, I had this Born a Boogie VHS and everybody knows Bang a Gong. Like that's the big one. Get it on Bang a Gong. But it wasn't until college when I dug in a little bit deeper. And you mentioned loving the slider and loving this album. I'm going to, and I know I brought this album to the table, I am going to say the opposite. I don't think hmm. Mark Bolin ever made like a really great album, including this one. Whoa, you're really twisting the plot around here. I just love him so mm. much. And he mm. is in every groove on this record and even there are songs on this album that i just i actually don't really like even like all that much but i don't care because i love mark and anything he's doing i am 100 percent here for and i think just on a totality level this album just has more songs i like on it i mean mambo sun get it on bang a gong you mentioned planet queen motivator i think those are like the big ones for me. Those are the big T-Rex songs for me. I also love the slider yeah. and stuff. In fact, I have a vinyl copy of the slider heading my way today. It's supposed to arrive today. But mm. I don't even know if I could tell you in honesty that this is a good record. I mean, I'm happy to hear that you think it is. It probably is. I just don't even care because I just love Mark Boland so much. So I'll get into a little bit of background on Mark because actually, you know, much like Bruce Springsteen or Brian Wilson, his story is sort of just as important as this record. And so... yeah. Anyway, he was born in uh, 47 in England. So he's a handful of years younger than the Beatles. I guess, you know, Ringo's a sister, seven years older than him. 
And he was listening to all the usual suspects growing up. You're Eddie Cochran's and Chuck Berry's stuff like that. And by 15, he was playing guitar. He was kind of a troublemaker. And in fact, throughout his whole life, he was kind of a like a failure with the exception of the height of T-Rex. He would do a lot of things, try a lot of things, put himself out there and fail all the time. But he failed with such spectacular bravado and confidence that it sort of didn't even matter that when he wasn't terribly succeeding. Yeah. He also had the interesting thing of being a bisexual man in the swinging 60s in London as a teenager. I didn't know that. Wow. And that must have been a trip, you know, because like, (laughs) to say the least, look, if you're going to be a bisexual man, you may as well be one in the swinging 60s in London, I suppose. Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) But it couldn't have been easy for him. And I'm sure there was a lot of snickering. I'm sure there was a lot of stories and this and that. And It's the thing I love the most about him because he embraces fully who and what he is at every single turn. Being true to himself, even if it's stupid to other people, is his most defining trait. And there's something so beautiful and endearing about that. So I mentioned the 60s in London. He actually got his career started very early. He was a teenager in fact, he recorded his first tune as far back as 1964. So we're talking about like when the Beatles are coming out. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a song called All at Once, and, and he had gotten into Dylan, and that sort of started to warp how he was writing things. All at once, all at once, I can tell from a very first meeting. All at once, all at once. I can tell from the way my heart's beating We were made to be one Like the sky and the sun Like the moon and the stars shining above EMI famously rejected him around that time and actually, talk about Beatles, Decca, the ones who turned Beatles down, eventually signed him in 1965. So by 65, let's see, 47, 57... You know, he's not a terribly old person. He's, what, 14, something like that, 15? Yeah. And he's got a record deal with Decca. And it was at that time where Decca asked him or encouraged him to change his name to Mark Bolan. So Mark Bolan's actually a stage name. Oh. His actual name escapes me at the moment. But yeah, so anyway, he changed his name around that time, started to try and get his career going. Again, very young kid. And so he puts out a Decca single in 65 called The Wizard, you know who plays on that? No. Humble London studio musician Jimmy Page pops oh, up. Oh, my goodness gracious. Pops up on Mark Bolan's. I've heard of that guy. The Wizard from 1965. Walking in the woods one day, I met a man who Wonderful things he said Haunted hat upon his head He knew why people laughed and cried Why they lived and why they died Shadows Now again, none of these singles really take off. He is churning out song after song after song. And he reaches some sort of mild success because, again, he's a charismatic dude. He's playing rock and roll yeah, clearly. in that traditional sense, but it's just not really catching on. He even actually he tours with The Who. He's like an opener for The Who. 
And it was during one of those performances where he decided to take a step back and reevaluate how he was going to be an artist because he was in the tradition of already successful styles at that point. And it was at this point where he was trying to define what his style was. And so he actually left music briefly to become a, a, a sci-fi fantasy novelist. Oh my god! Right in the middle of the 60s. And he spent time with this guru called the Wizard in Paris who taught him how to levitate. I guess he claimed he could actually levitate, Bolin. Of course he could. And he's writing these sci-fi fantasy novels and, and but again, would not amount to much. But he took that and he took that stuff and all that big fiction and the things he was doing in his books and he started to incorporate it into his music and he decided that his next project would wrap all of that psychedelia up into one kind of package mm -hmm. and it would be a bit more stripped down a bit more acoustic a real rock and roll band called tyrannosaurus rex right tyrannosaurus rex as it was originally known is put together when Bolin puts an ad out in the paper and he gets this guy Ben Cartland on guitar, Steve Peregrine on the drums and some supposedly unknown bass player. Mm -hmm. And they set out to try and be a rock band initially, like a big electric rock band. And apparently the first gig went so badly. Bolin was booed off the stage. Wow. And he actually dropped electric guitar and the electric sound from his act for like years after that because he was so mortified at having been rejected so wow. wholeheartedly by an audience that's rough again the lovable failure side of things comes up he switches to acoustic uh-huh and he puts out three albums under the name tyrannosaurus rex and they they start picking up a bit of uh, a bit of like an underground acclaim they're still not big successes <laughs> but He's piquing yeah. the interest of some tastemakers. And I found out John Peel, the famous John Peel, was one of his early champions. John Peel heard some of those. English DJ came from pirate radio, John Peel. Famous music man, John Peel. Yeah, tastemaker in, in London. And so he, you know, Boland is now all right. The, the train is sort of starting to leave the station and he's starting to figure out what his sound is. And in 1969, he would jump back into the authorship realm as well, releasing a book of poetry that was called The Warlock of Love, which yes. by the time of T-Rex's fame later would become Britain's best-selling book on poetry of all time. <laughs> wow, that's nuts. <laughs> but it wasn't really appreciated at that time. So as Tyrannosaurus Rex as a concept wound down, Bolin eyed what the next phase of the band would be, and that's when he hooked up with Tony Visconti. Right. And now we all know, we know Tony Visconti, uh, Ryan, as the guy who he's david bowie's producer right yeah exactly that's crazy that's that must be how i vis-a-vis -vis david bowie like i said 
just clicking around, figuring it out. Yeah, they had the same wild, same producer, and so they, when Visconti got a hold of Mark's music, they recorded a song called "Ride a White Swan," which became a bona fide hit record. <laughs> I love Ride a White Swan. It's it still has that acoustic-y Tyrannosaurus Rex flavor before it's T-Rex and Electric Warrior and all that. It's a really catchy, little beautiful song. And it's funny, when you hear that record, you almost hear everything I just said about his story kind of in that music. You really can, yeah. And so Bolin decided to expand the band at that point. So remember I mentioned he was booed off stage. So now he's finally starting to get his confidence back. He's finally starting to think about picking up an electric guitar again. Mm -hmm. And that's when he decides to condense the name of Tyrannosaurus Rex to T-Rex. And they cut a song called Hot Love, which went straight to number one and led directly to the album we're about to talk about today, Electric Warrior. Wow. She's my woman of gold. She's not very old. She's my woman of gold. She's not very old. I don't mean to be bold about the Amazing. What a well done. I was just sitting here entertained. <laughs> that thing happened again where I forgot that I had to work. <laughs> What's going on? Wow, what is, this is so interesting. Well, it's, I just, I love it. It's an underdog story, you know, and it's an underdog story of a guy that I totally. find sort of very charming, you know? So Absolutely is that guy charming. So Hot Love's a big hit, and he's touring around, and then it's March and March to June, sort of springtime, 1971, and Bolin and Visconti start making plans for this record, and Bolin was in America at the time. Hot Love was number one in the UK, and Bolin was sort of flying high, and he was in LA for the first part of the recording process, and then he jet-set to New York to meet up with Visconti in the studio after receiving, a, which I thought was very cute, a fresh home-cooked meal by Visconti's mother in Brooklyn. <laughs> It's really very cute. I wonder what she must have thought of this fucking glitter-bound, top-hat-wielding necromancer in her home, (laughs) eating her mashed potatoes or whatever. Yeah, seriously. Very funny to me. (laughs) Visconti recalled of those sessions, the atmosphere was electric. They had two big hits under their belt and a tour in America, and it all made them feel like heroes. Bolin got so excited during those initial sessions that he split his pants in half and wow. like at the seam and so strange there's a photo of one of visconti's friends mending his pants with mark standing behind the piano with his ass sticking out grinning at the camera it's just very awesome very bowling yeah everything i've seen from him is just a little off like him in that piano and that one promo video <laughs> with his head you the- sent me <laughs> his head is like this i don't even understand this <laughs> but there it is yeah he's he's got that 
Yeah, I, well, I, I know I promised I wouldn't do it again, but there's some Jack Whitey things about him in the sense that it's off kilter. And there's a wink and a nod, but I think with Bolin, it's more sincere. Definitely. I think he is more, you mentioned, we talked about childlike stuff last episode. I think Bolin's got a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, sh- it you can hear it in the recordings. So this was recorded in four different studios. Trident in Britain, which we all know was famously used for some of those um, white album cuts from the Beatles. Yeah. Media Sound Studios in New York, which I'm not sure if you had any run-ins in. That's that in that church, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ad Vision Studios in London, and then Wally Hyder Recording Studio here in Los Angeles, where Wings laid down some of Venus and Mars. Oh, awesome. Which is cool. No, yeah, I've, that's really cool. And the album's title, Electric Warrior, came from a poem Bolin wrote from this line, he came from the past, his frozen eyes had known our planet's children, mm. and with one soulful wail, a thousand mean ones were burned. Ooh. Then he'd turn and jive on into my songs for his name is Electric Warrior. Wow. <laughs> this is really good. Boogie, baby. Yeah. So Bolin was joined by Steve Curry on bass, Will Legend on drums, Burt Collins on flugelhorn, Ian McDonald on Ooh. sax, and Howard Kalen and Mark Volman on backing vocals. Bolin doubters were addressed by Mark directly in the music trade press at the time. I've always been a wriggler. This is my Bolin accent. That's very good. I've always been a wriggler. I dig dancing and was just a bit what? difficult to wriggle when I was sitting cross-legged on the stage. I mean, I am my own fantasy. I am the cosmic dancer who dances his way out of the womb and into the tomb. I'm not frightened to get up there and groove in front of six million people on TV just because it doesn't look cool. Wow. That's the way I'd groove at home. It's my life, and I'm enjoying myself now more than ever before. I'm a rock and roll poet man (laughs) who's just bopping around on the side. My head is perfectly clean inside. What? I'm sorry if my actions upset some people, but I'm absolutely honest about what I'm doing, and I know it gives a lot of people pleasure. Those who are offended can always switch off. I believe in it, and if they don't like it, they can ride a bike. (laughs) Electric Warrior might appear simple on the surface, (laughs) but it has a lot of sneakies in there if you want to dig deeper. Wow. Hilarious guy. He really just believes his own magic. He believes right in it. That's unreal. I mean, he thinks he can levitate. So, like... It sounds like he might be able to. (laughs) I feel like I'm levitating right now. (laughs) So Electric Warrior was released on uh, September 24th, 1971 on Fly Records in the UK and Reprise in the US. And you get that really cool badass cover like you described of Mark in front of that big amp, big powerful cover designed by a group in London called Hypnosis. And we touched on glam or bowie bolin really was at the forefront and in fact many credit his appearance performing hot love on top of the pops as the thing that ignited the glam movement Mm. because before he went on stage his pa at the time dabbed his under eyes with glitter and smeared some glitter on his guitar and so when you see that hot love promo on top of the pops he is literally sparkling and i guess Many credit that with like, oh, okay, that's the thing that sort of ignited the glam rock movement. Sort of Bowie was right behind him, and he and Bowie were actually really great friends and had 
I don't know, a friendly rivalry in those early 70s years. I don't know. I think Bowie always wins, I mean, no matter who Bowie's against. You know, if you're if you're putting yeah. Bowie against somebody else, Bowie always wins. But I like Bolin for different reasons than I like Bowie. You know, they're both really good. But yeah, to, I mean, Bolin's a bit, he's more of a, like a space cowboy or something. David Bowie is an alien. <laughs> Boland might actually be from Earth, but he has magical powers and... Yeah. He's more of a, sh- a shaman of some <laughs> yeah. kind. Shaman, however you say That's that right. word. That's right. And again, we, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning. I think this is Bolin's best. I- is it a perfect album? I would say no, but like sort of yes, too. Yeah. I described it as like a dipstick of Bolin DNA. Like this is what that guy was. <sighs> you know, he's a fucking wizard and he likes bongos and he's going to get laid by anyone with any kind of genitalia that night. Now, that is the thing that I did not know. And now I know that changes everything about him. I thought, I didn't know what he was, but wasn't he, he was married to a woman, I thought, about near the end of his life. Yeah, well, he died very young. He died at 29. He was married to a woman. They had a son together. And it's his, the story of his death is actually super tragic. I don't know if you've read about this, but... No, I haven't. It's not like a drug overdose or something. So he never learned how to drive because he was terrified to die in a car wreck. Whoa. And then he he died in a car wreck about... He died in a car wreck. Good gravy. That's horrible. Yeah, about 10 days before his 30th birthday. Super That's young. That's so sad. Really sad. He was cremated in Golders Green Crematorium in London, which keen-eared beetle freaks would recognize from the George Harrison song, Going Down to Golders Green. You ever hear that one? No. It's like an acoustic, I don't even know if he wrote it actually, but it's like an acoustic song he plays and it's all about how he's golden, the chorus is going down to Golders Green in my limousine. And it's basically just about how all of life is futile and you're just going to wind up at Golders Green. So, you know, why bother? Love that energy. (laughs) (laughs) Who can, why bother? You're you're already dead. Well, wake up every morning. Rushing down to work Pulling on the diamond rings To keep a chauffeur driven back Going down the golden screen Going down the golden screen Going down the golden screen My limousine No curtains on my window No paint upon my door No food upon the table No carpets on the floor Gloomy and cheerful, all in one fell swoop. That's Georgie for you, but Bolin, he's a uh, big, big energy, and Whew. I think I have some a segment to follow some of that big energy, oh, Ryan. No. It, uh, is it, uh, is it uh, the Bullet Corner? Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. All right, this is Paul's Bullet Corner, where I summarize the album we're listening to with weird poetry, which is suitable for Mr. Mark Bolin, although most of these lyrics are kind of bullets in and of themselves. Yeah, it's a whole album of bullets. That's a good point. So I have four bullets for this one. I normally have three. This time I have four. First bullet. More accessible than Todd, hornier than Bowie, Wow. Witchier than Dave Edmonds. Mm. Curdled cream or whatever the opposite of Charles Manson is. <laughs> Hello, Chuck. 
How are you doing, pal? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bullet point number two. What it feels like to be hit in the face with a sex cannon. Oh, my God. That is... How it would feel, I think I can... I, I think I'm okay with. How it would smell. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. Not pleasant. Uh, bullet point number three. The strato castrations of your favorite friendly oh, neighborhood cockromancer in chief. God, I can't believe that's that's on holy smokes. That might just be the description of the episode <laughs> in a Jokerman font. I'm gonna figure out how to code that in. And my last one here, White Prince. Ooh, maybe right. Never really made that connection, but I guess that is a very apt and intelligent connection. He was small, right? Bowen was small. I mean... He was 5'4". Was he? Maybe I'm making that up. I think he was as small as Prince. He was a little guy. So that's a, that was a good connection, maybe, that's all I meant to maybe. say. I think they're both, they're both wizards, you know? Definitely both wizards. Ways. Should we get into the album, then? Yes, please. Track one. Mambo Sun. Mambo Sun. Is there a better way to open an album? I don't think so. In fact, I almost know so. And yeah, like I said at the top of the the record, I got stars in my beard and I feel real <laughs> weird for you. What more do you need to say? That's all. That's that's my whole review of the album. <laughs> it's uh, the thing about this record is yeah, there's a couple of songs that miss the mark. There really are. I know everybody thinks oh, all these uh, songs are uh, the best songs of all time. But the grooves in all of them, not really a bad one. Great session work, good production. And you have to remember, he is inventing a genre. And if not inventing, directing it in a way that will affect all of rock, all of new wave, and uh, ultimately alternative music and indie music. Just the, his blend... Like all of these lyrics are like, so hard to, it's so hard to hate this stuff. Yeah, I just don't know. I've never, have you ever met anybody who's like, yeah, I don't really get T-Rex. No, everyone's like, yeah, it's real cool, man. It's all in Mambo's son. Yeah. It kicks it off right away. Yeah. I mean, you had ticked off a couple of my notes here, like the same exact things. I even pulled the stars in my beard line, but it's the perfect album opener. It's got everything you love about Mark right here. The groove, the tenderness, but also like the badass quality, the lyrics, they're insane, but they're so charming and they're so intricate that they bear repeat listens because you want to go back and hear it again, catch everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're li- sitting there listening, like grooving to Mambo Sun, then he's singing about upon a mountain range, I'm Dr. Strange. And you're like, what? Did he? <laughs> Amazing. Excuse me? With my hat in my hand, I'm a hungry man <laughs> for you. Huh? It's a song with no real chorus or anything like that. Or maybe it's all chorus. I don't know. It's almost like a like a space blues, where all those old classic blues songs. Yeah. It's just one section repeated, and you say a bunch of stuff. But there's a hook in the sense of 
with you, Ooh, oh, with yeah. you, all that. Sure. Not a chorus, but I think the whole thing is a chorus. Yeah. And it's hypnotic. And the bongos help with that. I mean, I didn't really touch on the bongos much, but T-Rex's sound is kind of defined by those bongos. They're on everything, <laughs> like almost everything. Very much, and, very true. And they feel out of place sometimes in a harder rock song. But actually, I don't know, they kind of make it very signature. And I really like them, particularly on this song. But I don't think it gets much better than this song. Like, I love Bang a Gong, but I think Mambo's Son, just to me, and maybe the, the slider's close too. The song, The Slider. Yeah, the song, The Slider. Where it's like, okay, that's his perfect, that's that's the quintessential yeah. T-Rex. Yeah, this is buying for that, for sure. I got a powder keg leg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all good. All of those lines are good, even the ones that I don't really understand, because none of it, it's, 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 it's like looking at a dolly or something of that era. Those, um, what is that called again? Surrealism? Surrealism. It's, that's what this always felt like to me. He's, and he's also kind of taken the piss out of rock and roll. Yeah. And the pretentious nature of it. There is a bit of a wink, but there is a, there is a bit of, of, a, of, a, of horror in it, too. He's a little bit of a scary guy because of his... There's some dark energy there, but it comes off in a playful way. Yeah. At least on this album. Oh, for sure. Even when he's getting aggressive, it's playful. Like, I think of a song like Rip Off later, but... Yeah, I think, also, I would put him in an ELO space in the sense that they're both yeah. trying... Yeah, yeah. They're both kind of continuing the walrus sound a bit. Absolutely, son of walrus. With those cellos and stuff. And I think he and Jeff Lynne were friends, if I'm not mistaken. I believe I had read that. But read the lyrics they're just really compelling awesome and speaking of compelling lyrics move on here to track two cosmic dancer amazing i dance myself right out the womb is it strange to dance so soon i dance myself right out the womb I was dancing when I was eight. I was dancing when I was eight. Just gets better. I was dancing when I was 12. Right. Oh, man. I danced myself right out the womb. What? (laughs) Yeah. And then into the tomb. Danced myself into the tomb. And then that got me thinking, man, the English language is kind of fucked up. We we put womb and tomb as basically the same word. That's great. W and T. Who did the recent cover of this? Somebody did it. It was like Nick Cave or somebody covered this like in the last couple weeks. Oh, no kidding. Is it strange to dance so soon? Dance myself into the tomb. I think it's a song that resonates with people it's one that i didn't love at first just because like so bear with me like 
I know I like Bang a Gong. I like Children of the Revolution. That's a big favorite song of mine. Yeah. And so I'm on LimeWire in college looking for more T-Rex songs. And I find, ooh, Cosmic mm-hmm. Dancer. I'm thinking it's another sort of bass line, cool little yeah. rocker. And then I get this, it's like a slow little acoustic haunting song. And so I didn't actually love it at first, but I've grown to love this song so much because it's Bolin. Like it just sums him up, you know? And there's a total confidence there. He believes this, what he's singing. Oh, a hundred percent. I discovered this one in that movie, Vel- um, was it Velvet Goldmine? Some 90s flick about this era. So when I had heard it on the context of the record, it's like, oh yeah, this song. It's one of those songs I felt it's it's always been around in that cosmic way. Like, oh yeah, this has been around for all eternity. And it's just, it's the snake eating its tail or it's just, was was the universe first or was this song first? I actually found a quote, (laughs) Mark Boland, he talks about this song. I am my own fantasy. I am the cosmic dancer. What I can't tell you, who dances his way out of the womb? I just do end up doing Ringo. Who dances his way out of the womb and into the tomb on Electric Warrior. I'm not frightened to get up there and groove about in front of six million people on TV because it doesn't look cool. That's the way I do it at home. Just how he starts off, I am my own fantasy. (laughs) Okay, guy. (laughs) Sounds good, guy. That confidence, man. And you get the Beatley stuff on this. You get those Beatley cellos and stuff. And I got the impression that this dude probably watched 2001 A Space Odyssey after having maybe dropped some acid. Oh, yeah. And out pops a song like this. But it may just be his own stuff. Like, I think this may just be inspired by his own science fiction writings and shit. Because if he's thinking about things in those terms, you know, it's not a very typically rock and roll thing to be thinking about necessarily. No. But... It's what Mark's thinking about, and this song. It's definitely what Mark's thinking about. And then you go, oh, those dueling backward guitar solos at the end. Mm. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Love that stuff. The old chef's kiss. Jeepster. Whew. Track three. Jeepster for your love. That's was my first note. I'm just a jeepster for your love, Ryan. <laughs> oh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> right back at you, pal. You are so sweet. You are so fast. This song is, it should be ridiculous. Yeah, it should be, but it's kind of just great. (laughs) But it's kind of just great. I mean, it's, it's the same as the rest of it. It's, it just works because he works and therefore whatever he's singing works jeepster what the what does that mean yeah what is he talking about he he's willing to go anywhere is that the literal meaning of this i will is jeepster almost a verb or i i don't i don't i don't know pretty great i just thought it was him making it because like you know he makes up a lot of words right he he was the one that gave ringo boogaloo Mm. for back off boogaloo that was written because Mark Bowen was saying boogaloo a lot. So I assume Jeepster is just along the lines of a boogaloo. That makes sense. Uh, Mark Bowen was a good friend of mine from T-Rex. Yeah. God bless him. And uh, he came for dinner one night, and Mark was just a 
energized guy. You know, full of it. Anyway, came for dinner, we're hanging out, sitting around. And he used to speak, you know, oh, back off Boogaloo. Ooh, you Boogaloo. It was all like, back off Boogaloo. <laughs> you want some potatoes? Ooh, Boogaloo. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> You've got the universe reclining in your hair? Yeah, it's crazy. It's a beautiful line. <laughs> yeah, really, God. it's wild. So this was one that was recorded in that converted church on Broadway and 7th at Media Sound Studios. Mm. And it hooks you from that first line to get that. He's talking to you, you know, that classic Beatle thing. You know, you're the love interest he's talking to. Creates a deep connection with the listener through that process. And it is so hooky and danceable with, again, those weird but charming lyrics I love the bit, just like a car you're pleasing to behold, I'd call you Jaguar if I may be so bold. Amazing, yeah. It's really unbelievable. <laughs> the bowl and bongos, everything. Just beautiful. This was a single. It was a number two single in the UK, number 28 in Australia, 73 in Canada. I charted some places elsewhere, but number two single in the UK. That's huge. Really that's big. That's what my dad, I, I know my dad knew when he was in high school. Hmm. Uh, so that moves on here, track four, Monolith. Wow. The Duke of Earl to me. Okay, yeah. I, I could hear that. This is a part of a lull in the album for me. Okay. Monolith. I don't love it. I like the hi-hat opening. I love the the soul on this one. Again, it's not my favorite, but I do like it. And I think it's just it just comes down to all the different elements that Bolin and Visconti put on the song to keep you interested, plus mm-hmm. Bolin's confidence that keep you engaged in the song, but I do oh, find yeah. this song to be sort of just plain in a way. Okay, I, I love the guitar solo; that's a big highlight. I'm gonna read a little bit from a website that I pillaged a lot of information from called LouderSound.com. So shout out to them. It says just prior to the New York bout of cake charming, trouser splitting, and jeepster nailing, Visconti flew to L.A. to join up with the band as they played two nights at the Whiskey a Go Go. Mark was hanging out with Flo and Eddie. Oh, yeah, Flo Mark and Eddie. Mark and Howard Kalen at Kalen's Laurel Canyon Haven. The Turtles and the Mother of Invention singers, larger-than-life characters, had already contributed the la-la-las of hot love. So <laughs> that's the <laughs> Turtles and the Mothers of Invention um, singers. And Visconti says vocal lines for Planet Queen and Monolith were both sketched out beside Kalen's swimming pool. So this one was really done on tour, written on the fly. Again, hanging out with lots of groovy people in L.A. Wow. Just would love to have been a part of that party. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a really, really cool party. Could have been at a really cool party. The throne of time is a kingly thing. Great opening to a song as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's a dip for you, though. That's, uh, see, I, I am not dipping yet. I'm still rolling right around. This one in track five, Lean Woman, I, I don't love. really i I like the studio chatter that may be the most endearing part of it for me that one and the tool and the buckle my shoe or whatever Mm. yeah 
But it's, it's sort of a, a dirgy 12-bar blues. And while I don't love the song, the execution of it is still pretty good, you know? And I, it's still bowling, you know? Yeah. It's just it's his energy saves it for me. And what Visconti was able to capture. He's got that big whatever zip gun he's always firing at you at all times. And it does kind of blast out of the speakers, you know, his aura. Oh, sure. Uh, Lean Woman Blues is probably my, one of my favorite songs on this album. Really? Yeah. Tell me about it. Why? Why <laughs> you love this one? I, That's great. How? How do I put it? I mean, to put it simply, if I had to put it simply, it just is all of the essential elements of his magic on this track. Yeah. The lyrics are simple. Everything's stripped down a bit. I think it's just that. I also love the blues. Maybe that's more of a I do too. Yeah. It's a quick one. It kind of, I don't know, it just, maybe because in my head I know Bang a Gong is coming up next and I'm just <laughs> anticipating it. But yeah, I'm just, I, just I, 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 like, I like Lean Woman Blues a lot. I can't even put my finger on it. I, it's just a great song. It might be fun to play live. Yeah, that's probably a lot of it. Because you could really dig in there. He goes crazy playing this one live. I believe you can see some of that in... Born to Boogie. And when you gorge me with a knife and I'm blue. <laughs> what? <laughs> with the sky in his hand and I'm blue. On the beach of the land for you. Yeah, it's just, I like the lyrics. like the vibe. But yeah, obviously in the next song, Get It On. Good, holy smokes. Will you build now you got a hug. big track worthy of the freaking animal tyrannosaurus rex just dirty and sweet big is the tiniest way to describe this song this thing is as big as the universe itself it just goes (laughs) do you know john lennon like this one of course he did i didn't know that (laughs) didn't bowen nick some chuck berry thing for this oh maybe a riff i think oh yeah it's here it's right a little queenie it's a little, little queenie riff. I got the wiggles in my knees when she looked at me and sweet smiled. There she is again, standing over by the record machine. And then what, you got Elton in the music video, but he's not actually on the record itself? Is that the story? <laughs> I do love that he had... I mean, he was so ensconced in the scene in London that, yeah, he's able to get Elton. He's able to get Ringo. He's able to get Bowie. And later on, when he has a TV show, 
toward the end of his life they he there's a lot of interesting special guests he actually duets with bowie on those and i i love the fact that him and elton were friends it's awesome yeah it's really cool i mean this song is obviously about sex yeah everybody knows this song huge chorus yeah will your bill like a car you got a hubcap diamond star halo Woo! Built like a car. Oh yeah. I know that when I'm dating women or was I, when I told them that they're built like a car, it did not <laughs> go over well. <laughs> you look as yeah. about as heavy as a car. <laughs> <laughs> How many miles? How many miles on this thing? How many people have been in this thing? Oh boy. <laughs> When's the last time you had this thing cleaned? <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, you're windy and wild. You got blues on your shoes and your stockings. Yeah, his the way he puts together words, he's painting with words, kind of pre-Rick Ocasek, right? But yeah. the way he chooses his syllables and the rhymes, they really flow in a beautiful way. It is the, the words are musical, which adds to the excitement of the record itself. Oh, yeah. That's where that poetry shines. That's where that poetry is essential to his music it's those those lyrics are just their poetry you know and he he deploys them as such totally and i think in a lot of ways the production is the hero of this one because visconti knows what to bring to the fore and what to push back mm-hmm. the mixing is really perfect and the engineering of the you know the the miking and stuff on the instruments mark's voice is just up front and firing on all cylinders and what i found actually most interesting is the piano was a late addition to this oh one. no kidding yeah when they were putting the final touches on it in london and actually the piano kind of makes it yeah that does make the record it really keeps this one humming along so this was a number one single in the uk and it was boland's only top 10 song in the u.s really huh charted in a slew of other countries a major worldwide hit probably the song he's best known for i would say but it's just, yeah, it's just bowling, whipping sex and power and fucking glitter and awesome magic and shit at you a mile a minute on this one. Just dripping with swagger. That's amazing. Dripping with it. Uh, love this song. Love the next one, too. Of course you Planet do. Queen. Perchance to dream. <sighs> she used my head like a revolver. <laughs> oh, boy. Jesus that could only mean one thing. So this one and Mambo Sun are very similar to me, but I love them both and actually don't really care that they're basically the same song because I love them both. Mm, yeah, this one, it's got a decent chorus. Well, it's all right. Love is what you want. Flying. Why were all these guys obsessed with flying saucers? What was going on? <laughs> well, not only that, flying saucer, take me away. Give me your daughter. <laughs> oh, boy. How much for the, how much for the little girl? <laughs> That's from Blues Brothers. I'm not... Don't frame me as some Epstein guy. Fucking freaks out there listening to this. How much for your women? How much for the little girl? (laughs) Take me away, alien. Also, I'm going to steal your daughter as we're abducted up into the flying saucer. 
All these guys have these stories of like, yeah, man, I saw like John Lennon. He saw he convinced he saw a flying saucer in New York. Yeah, what? It was other people who evidently had reported it as well, and May Pang saw it too. Wow. He claims he wasn't drinking at the time. Well, we'll see about that, John. <laughs> Dragon um, Head, Machine of Lead, Cadillac yeah. King, Dancer in the Midnight. So you're hearing all this car imagery now, right? Like it's very, it's sort of weird that he would be killed by a car because most of his songs have car imagery in it. That um, car imagery, and now you pointed out the grand irony, but hey, he's the cosmic dancer, right? That's fitting, yeah. fitting of what he was all about. The Aurora Boris man. <laughs> Skinner, the Aurora Borealis. <laughs> In your kitchen, this time of day, this time of the year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's right. See Stephen Ham's in the there. Steam hams. hams. Um, I mm, love Boland's Steve little... Hams. <laughs> that's almost Boland-esque, a lot of the Simpsons stuff, but that's way. We were way. Reel it back in. Come on, bring it back in. So I'm, I want to talk about his squawking. Okay. Oh, yeah. The, the old squawk. He's doing it in almost every song. And it's got like almost like an Elvis thing, but it sounds like, I was going to say it sounds like Elvis having sex, but I think it might just sound like Priscilla having sex Okay. With All right. I can, I can get behind that. Oh, that actually scared the hell out of me. I didn't know what that sound was. What was that sound? Oh, it's my friend Paul. Beatboxing. <laughs> and then the, the run out of this song is them just screaming, give me your daughter. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I was trying to say before. It's just such a weird way to end it, but it's so Bolin. It's just so quintessentially him. Totally. That moves us on to track eight here. Girl. Oh, God. High in your fields above us. Come and be real for us. Are you with your mind? Oh, yes, you are beautifully fine. Electric wit, you are limp In society's ditch, you are visually fine Oh yes, you are mentally Another one recorded in that church at Media Sound. I like this one. I find it kind of plain compared to the other ones. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. I wrote pleasant enough. That's what I wrote. Sure. It is very similar to me to Life's a Gas, and I like Life's a Gas a lot. Oh, better. Life's a Gas is very good. I like the electric guitar on this song because it always sounds kind of like it's ready to take off and soar and big solo, and then it just sort of stalls, and it kind of gives you blue balls, but in an interesting sort of compelling way. And then instead, he's like, no, 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 you're not going to get this guitar. You're going to get this flugelhorn. Flugelhorn? Flugelhorn? Flugelhorn. One Fugle, of flugel, flugelhorn? I think it's flugelhorn. All right. Well, it's a flugelhorn. I don't want emails about this. <laughs> Thank you. The only thing I like about this song, really, is that it just doesn't linger around too long because after that, we get to the motivator. Oh, God. Love the way you walk. 
Great, great, great song. What a delight this one. I just love how it plods along. Yeah, it's like Bang a Gong Part Two. I think I feel like this album sure. has a lot of mirroring companion. Yeah, yeah, mirroring. Yeah, companion songs. So I want to walk through these lyrics. Is it won't take very long, but they're worthy of walk through. I love the way you walk. Don't you know you're a cool motivator? And then it's love the way you walk. I love the way your eye it doth shine like an Egyptian ruby. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Amazing. Love, love the, way it, the way it shines. Love the way it shines. I love the clothes you wear. They're so mean. They're so free. They're so handsome. <laughs> <laughs> love the clothes you wear. Okay. And then I love the broken crown, the one you stole from the king and held for ransom. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of Dylan-y's kind of things happen in there. Yeah. Love the broken crown. I love the velvet hat. You know, the one that caused a revolution. Favorite line in the song, that a velvet hat caused a revolution. Amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. If you listen to no other lyric from this album, that is worthy of it. You know, the one that calls a revolution, and he does that thing with the phrasing, which is really, really funny and compelling and beautiful. Yeah, great, whatever it's called, diction. Yeah, phrasing, you, you, you've you got it. Yeah, favorite, a favorite track of mine um, from the record, favorite Bolin track in general. Really love the motivator. Which, uh, if you have nothing else, we can move along to. Life's oh, I mean, a gas. this was just the next song is such a great song. Yeah, life's a gas. Life's a gas. I could have loved you, good like a planet. I could have changed your heart to a star. But it really doesn't matter at all No, it really doesn't matter at all Life's a guys I could have loved you, girl, like a planet I could have changed your heart to a star But it, oh. but it really doesn't matter at all Life's a gas Yeah, huge, really not great Is this the B-side to Jeepster? How all of these songs are on the same album, it almost plays like a greatest hits or a best of compilation. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, clearly he had a few records before, not all of which were winners, some which were, I mean, clearly losers, especially if you're taking time off to be an author <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I really need to get my hands on some of the, those books. I had no idea. Yeah. I've never delved into them. I've always just, I mainly just like that he did that. Yeah, me too. There's a lot of great songs on this. I I agree. It's like it reads like the best of because there are so many known songs. It's why I chose this record in, instead of the slider. But I find it frustrating that some of the songs of the hits of his that I like the most aren't on albums like Children of the Revolution and Hot Love and Ride a White Swan. Well, I don't know about Ride a White Swan, but Hot Love and Children of the Revolution aren't on albums. They're just singles. Yeah. So if you want that on a record, you have to buy the 45 or something. But yeah, Life's a Gas beautiful like i was saying it's the sort of more realized girl from earlier in the record the bongos just accentuate things and again in ways that i normally find bongos kind of corny or something Mm -hmm. i don't hear and you get that hefty guitar solo and it's heavy you know yeah Mm -hmm. there's a beautiful duet with bolin and Scylla black 
who sing this together on Scylla's TV show later in the decade. And it's just sort of quintessentially Bolin that he had this big success and became this thing, this phenomenon in Britain. And then he kind of fell off. Fell off hard, if I remember correctly. Fell right? off hard. And by the end of his career... He was turning in garbage, if it will, or it just was inconsistent. Yeah, so, well, so you have Slider and then and Born a Boogie and stuff, and all that's great. So that's like 72. And then by the time you hit the, the mid-70s, it's just, he kind of falls away. And again, it's it's that Bolin thing. It's He's a tragedy. You know, he's a rock and roll tragedy because he's such an ethereal guy. Mm. He wafts between your fingers. You can catch him for a moment, but then he's gone again. And it's just, it's the same as it was his entire life. He, he, his fame reacts in the same way as his success and that's what I find so beautiful and sad and compelling about his story is that it's all about how life is fleeting. And that's Life's a Gas. Like, Life's a Gas yeah. is an autobiographical song. He is a gashal anomaly wafting throughout the fucking universe. <laughs> and he never stays in too, one place too long. So anyway, that sums up Life's a Gas for me and very beautiful song. Amazing song. I think this one belonged at the end. I feel like it should have been the end. Well, like the well, we'll talk about this eventually too. The the, the last couple songs in Exile on Main Street, you're going through the album. And you're like, wow, this is a great album. And then an amazing song happens. Like, yeah, this is the end. Stop. And then they tag some stuff on, almost as like a bonus track. Is that how you feel about Rip Off? It is, and it's it was recorded that way. It was a last minute addition to the session. Visconti said that when people say that sounds like it belongs somewhere else, I say they're absolutely right. It was so last minute and unconsciously made gem, it was done with another part of the brain. And then Boland said of it, it was very straightforward, just someone laying down a jive. So yeah, I guess they had finished the album and then Boland knocked this one out. And then they decided to put it at the end. And it's a weird way to end it. Life's a guess would have been a prettier ending, I think. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting record. You do get dancing in the nude feeling such a dude. It's a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> there was another line I really like. Let me just look. Oh, you're talking about the burgundy beard and all that. Yeah, it's just a bunch of self-referential stuff to the, the record itself. But yeah, it doesn't, doesn't exactly fit yeah. on the album. That's the record. That's Electric Warrior. And I suppose we will now receive... Some reception. Bop, 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 bop. What? What is it? Gentlemen, you've just recorded your first number one. Wow, an award statue. Oh, it's a Grammy. So Robert 
Chris Gal, who I always reference, I'm just going to read his whole review because it makes me, he always makes me laugh. Electric Warrior, Warner Brothers, 1972. As an acoustic warrior, back when he spelled out his group's first name and did concept albums about unicorns, <laughs> Mark, Bo- Mark Bolin was considered, in quotes, progressive, which meant he was as foolish as Donovan, but not as famous. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Yeah. A freak hit turned him into the singer of a rhythmic fairy tales for British pre-pubes. Exactly what, exactly what he was always suited for. And the great Bang-A-Gong extends his subject matter into the rock myth itself, which has its limits but sure beats unicorns. Now, if he'd only recycle a few more pop ready-mades, I could stop complaining about Faye. Don't understand the last sentence, but... Because I don't know what Faye means. All in all, a pretty cynical review. Yeah, he tore it apart. Him and John Peel both abandon Mark Boland by the time they, he gets to this point. Because he was perceived as pop. And I've been listening to a lot of fascinating discussions on a wonderful podcast called Something About the Beatles. Where they talk about the evolution of rock journalism and how it delineates pop and rock. And Chris Gow is identified many times as like a guy who was ensconced in 60s music and felt like it had to mean something to have any value whatsoever. And so he would take dumps all over McCartney habitually for similar reasons. Hmm. And I think that people just thought Bolin, by the time he got to this pop level, was just... Nothing. He was just a whole lot of nothing. A lot of pr- what, what did Lennon say? McCartney and Lennon remembers form without substance. I don't think that's true, but I think rock journalists, because it was popular, felt that or expressed that when I don't think it was fair of them to do so. Yeah. At the time, it may have been kind of brutal, but I think T-Rex has aged incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It does sound progressive in a lot of ways. Stands up. I can't wrap my head around this whole didn't learn how to drive, afraid of premature death. All of his songs are about cars. Died in a car. Yeah. Blew his mind out. Not to not yeah, right. Not to take take away from what you're saying, but yeah, this it's an it's an album that stands the test of time. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about certain records that still sound good later? How do you do that? That's the thing I don't understand. Because most of music is fashion, you're following trends. There's inputs, there's outputs, there's things people want to hear. You know, you go back to some of those records from the 60s, you go, some of this British invasion stuff. You know, I'm King Henry VIII, I am, and all that. <laughs> you're like, okay, man, sounds good. But then t- you put on Ticket to Ride, and you're like, fuck me up with this. It still sounds good. Or the Stones. I think it's truth, man. It's just, and that's what Bolin is. It's just truth. He's true to himself. I think if you're... That's it. That's what makes it timeless. If you're chasing trends and that's all you're doing. And you know, it's why it's why those why late nineties boy bands or girl groups sound so canned. Oh, totally. Is because it all felt manufactured. But if you are singing about your experience in your life, that's the thing. Because they still make humans and therefore they still make people who can relate to Mark Bolin, you know? But you may not be able to relate to a David Cassidy song the same way because he was trying to do something different. (laughs) 
Yeah. He was trying to be a pop star. Well, maybe I know he's a loaded term because I know he didn't like the pop star thing all that much, but a manufactured group has to do. It's why the monkeys are so fascinating to me because the monkeys began that way, but by the strength of their members, they were able to transcend and they broke free of that. And that's, I think, that's a, true. a really remarkable thing that they did. And it's why their music stands the test of time, even though those early songs were just as canned as the late 90s boy band stuff. Yeah, There's not really a lot of true. difference there, but their personalities burst through so palpably. You had to feel it, you know? I think it has a lot to do with technology. I think, you know, you look at your phone, you pull up Instagram, you see it's, it's all this instant gratification advertising is tracking us they're selling us things we don't even realize why did i buy this thing oh some you know you you talk about some obscure anything and then all of a sudden in the next hour you see an ad for it on your phone what <laughs> how is this possible where it used to be kind of how how we do it i mean we we barely edit the show this is a conversation i don't see people having conversations anymore conversation for people seems to be really difficult it's not that hard you ask questions and you learn and and communities are built around that and then you know you form a band or you form a group or you write songs and you guys you have to learn how to do it you can't go to youtube and learn a guitar i'm taking guitar lessons online a guy comes he shows up on this magic box and critiques what I do and then he disappears you had to be around people and be like hey what's this chord oh wow I never saw that chord before yeah. and you're learning and it's you do the hard work you have to put in the time I just don't think anybody puts in the time anymore or they don't want to they don't think you have to yeah there are yeah I mean in broad generalities I think absolutely broadly yes yeah guys like Jack White or I could name a ton of people Mac DeMarco records to tape does everything by himself of course these guys know how to they, they like the process and i think if you're talking about the monkeys those were songwriters those were real hard working guys yeah. and all those guys they cut this they were bigger than the beatles for a year or whatever yeah. it was then the stones combined it's an insane sane sort of thing so i don't know i don't know if those ramblings make sense i wasn't saying that to knock what you were saying. I agree with what you're saying. What I'm saying is I think it, I'm hopeful about the future of music because you and I have picked some fairly recent records on this show. Yeah, that's true. And to me, what that says is that it's not dead. It's just more evident in the people who are doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And like anything, it's going to change the, the, the worst, the biggest drags are the people like, I don't like hemp hop because it's <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like, well, why don't you like it? It's just because it's different than the thing that you're, you're afraid to go outside of your comfort zone. Right. Why don't you listen to some K-pop or some strange instrumental music? Or maybe don't listen to music. Listen, <laughs> like go watch some weird movies and then try to write a thing about the social element to music when people define yeah. themselves, all that stuff ends up at American Apparel, no matter what, <laughs> or Urban Outfitters or whatever the fuck it is. And there you are, <laughs> buying last year's hipster's tastes oh <laughs> at a premium. But you, wow. Just enjoy shit that is, make stuff. That is like, that is, you just described the essence of going down to Golders Green in my limousine. You're just going to wind up at American Apparel. Um, You're going to wind up there with a coupon <laughs> for your distressed jean jacket that costs $200, you oh, idiot. So much distress. 
Well, look, I'll leave um, I'll leave reception and T Rex on this note from NME, who said of the record at the time, "It's dead easy to knock T Rex today. It's everyone's favorite blood sport." But Boland stomps and stamps on. Whether or not you feel that he has butchered the spirit of Tyrannosaurus Rex, you must admire his composure and concede his sincerity. And that actually sums up exactly what we were just talking about. Oh, that's fantastic. And I want to thank everybody for joining me on this. I was very much looking forward to this. Love this record. Love talking about it with you today, Ryan. Much like you said at the top, I very rarely have a chance to talk about T-Rex for an hour with a friend of mine. So I appreciate that. And this was a lot of fun. I feel like we're getting the hang of this. I feel like it's really starting to click. Yeah. Well, we should stop and put it on ice for a little while. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Aggressive. (laughs) Strong jokes today. Uh, We'd like to thank everybody for listening. And of course... How are those wings on your back doing, by the way? (laughs) Oh, the scrot wings. I really (laughs) dropped those pretty hard and they're back. Painful. You'll heal. I mean, I hope. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show, actually, even if you didn't, just rate, review, and subscribe. Give us five stars. Again, don't care what you talk about in the rating. Just a rating would be lovely. We'd love that. Or better yet, well, actually, not better yet. But similarly, you could refer us to a friend. Uh, If you have somebody who has weird taste in music or would maybe perhaps enjoy our insane ramblings, eh, maybe pass the show along is all I'm saying. It would be nice. You know, it'd be nice if you did that. It would be very nice. And we're going to be back more season three goodness. But until that time, I guess I'm signing off here and saying uh, enjoy every sandwich. Enjoy every sandwich. You know, the one that caused a revolution. The revolution. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at now hear this podcast on instagram at now hear this pod on twitter facebook.com slash now hear this podcast or email us at now hear this official at gmail.com see you next time all right that was a good one we didn't enjoy every sandwich the last episode no we did we did yeah you sure Wow, I was in a fugue state on that one. I yeah, because I yes, it was a peach sandwich. Right, 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 right. Do oh wow, we did it. We did it. Well, hey Ryan. Hey Paul, how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these now hear this episodes coming, well, they can donate, featuring the wonderful new donation technology that Acast has developed for us. That's right. Acast has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't set it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>